what was the event yeah no doubt that is yeah you only get you get to be wrong about that one time so (laughs) but what are you gonna do all right well how are you doing tonight i'm good i feel a lot more energetic than the last time we did this (laughs) um remember that was like long and tired and like michael was sick but no i just came from uh some good time with some good friends and kind of amped up i was practicing doing opinions and (laughs) we were talking about some stuff so like we're talking about a pastor that told me not at my church but that he didn't know if jonah actually happened and he wondered about the parting of the red sea and it made me wonder why are you a pastor (laughs) yeah yep that is dude here to fit in with the the old liberals though so um well i have this split into two episodes and so if we'll see how much time we so again i'll play a bunch of clips but if there's not much to say about it feel free to kind of just you know let it go because i don't want to don't want to belabor it um do you guys are you guys doing something for good friday tomorrow uh yeah our church is doing a a good lengthy good friday service i was there for practice because i'm playing easter sunday and uh they have a lot of candles in there i'm like that's all i could think about is who's gonna light all these things (laughs) um but yeah we'll do that and then the church is having like a community easter egg hunt on saturday and so we'll be at the church then and then Sunday, three services, um, and then my brother is going to come down with a ham. So, Ooh. like, bought a ham and then realized his older kids weren't going to be with him. So he's going to come down here and look at our foundation because there's a possum getting into it. Oh, our crawl space. You can hear it growling, and it's dirty down there. So we hired out a company to come look at it to see about patching it up. And he said, "Your foundation is crumbling." <laughs> And then we just received the estimate to fix it. And it's like $27,000. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, that's pretty. Dude, time to pretty, sell that house and move to Eau Claire. Get out of there. We we are looking at trying to see what we need to do to sell. So Dang. we ain't doing that. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, yeah, well, you guys are, of course, you're still always welcome to to come up sometime i'm working on closing yeah. on the house up there right now so nice. we'll see. We'll yeah see. well once you do that you could host us then maybe right mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're still interested in coming up so now that there's some more finality with my yeah. church so this is me i attempted to make myself a healthy protein shamrock shake and i think nice. i got i think i got the consistency down but I'm like, I mean, you got to add a lot of peppermint. So I added a ton of peppermint extract. And this is like, like. It's got to be overloaded. Oh, it's overloaded for sure. Um, so that's I mean, my you, fault. K- kudos to you, by the way. I know we're trying to start, but you've been all over my fitness pal, man. You're, I know. You've been, I mean, I've been active, but I haven't been logging workouts. I'm going to fill some five pound 
five gallon buckets with sand and start using those for for weight lifting so yeah since i was diagnosed with uh the sleep apnea i have lost i'm now lighter than i was at my lightest in turkey nice so so i've lost uh, a little fat phobic person i know i've lost 15 (laughs) pounds i think since then so um and once i uh um get down uh once i'm over 20 pounds down i'm buying myself another gun so um, i'm i'm 20 pounds down from when i started fitness pal but i've been there for a while because i haven't i'm like at the point where i need to exercise to make more progress because i eat pretty right. healthy, but i need to right. actually <laughs> expend some more and i work behind a computer all day for like yeah. eight hours so the only thing that helps me have time to build in the exercise that I have to do is the fact that since I work in multiple time zones, my work day often starts at 6 a.m. So it's pretty handy when you can be done by 2. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> um, so, but and it's also not great sometimes because my work day starts starts at 6 a.m <laughs> yep but it is what it is but yeah i'll uh, i'll preach at the good friday service tomorrow so nice um there was a, a an anglican guy um on twitter and he was making a really excellent joke he said you know monday he said uh happy holy week uh to all my friends and to my presbyterian friends i wish you a happy april 10th through the 17th <laughs> you got that right <laughs> You got that right. So, all right. And then next week, I got to go over to Milwaukee. And, um, hey, my parents' neck of the woods. Yep. And the Presbytery is going to vote on our plan and our moving plans and my uh, approving my internship. So, it'll be a big weekend that I'm going to. There's pre- a lot going on. Yeah. And then Sunday morning, I'll preach. I'm going to fill a pulpit for one of the churches on the uh, kind of close to Madison. So still on that side of the state. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff on the agenda. Yeah. All right. I got to, I was got to test the screen share. optimize okay so all right so you see this uh i mean obviously it doesn't matter if you see it but you see that tab i do see it all right let me test it sound and they really camped on that evangelical focusing on that restless part what i was did you get that (laughs) yes that's a great Great. i didn't even i didn't even catch that when i listened to it that's a great bump (laughs) yep We'll, uh, we'll start just a little bit earlier to make sure I get that there. Colin Hansen. Oh, Colin Hansen. Um, it was real loud. I'm going to turn my sound down a little bit on my, for me. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try and bring us in and we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. So.
This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless, the original Rise and Fall show. We are here doing a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Matt. But friends, tonight I am not joined by Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael is in the midst of potentially having a baby. And so um, we needed someone to fill in and Pastor Michael handpicked. Oh, <laughs> he handpicked the person who would fill the ordained Presbyterian shoes tonight. And so we are joined by, as we were early on into our endeavor into the rise and fall of good of Mars Hill by my good friend, Matt Contreras, which is what his close friends call him, first and last name, so you won't be confused by who we are. Welcome back to Restless, Matt Contreras. It is, it is good to be here. It's surprising that I was... When you phrase it like that, having a, a currently Baptist, and I use that word strongly, currently Baptist uh, layman filling in the shoes of the esteemed Pastor yeah. Michael presbyterian pastor uh, it's, uh, that's an honor if if you don't want to call him by his last name folks you can call him mainstream matt he is the he is the matt not hiding out in the presbyterian bunker up here um and so we are doing something that uh i had not we had not made up our minds if we would do on restless we are doing a review it will be a two-part review um and we will see if Matt it joins us for both. We will be doing a two-part review of the special episode of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill called I Kissed Christianity Goodbye, which is largely an interview with Joshua Harris. Um, I had not, obviously, as everyone knows, if you're, uh, if you're following this show, I had not I have not listened to these beforehand. I do not know where all of these are going. And this obviously is a special episode. It diverges from the Mars Hill story. Um, but Christianity Today thought it was so important that they include a long-form interview with Joshua Harris uh, that they created a special episode to do so. And because it's a little bit outside of the reason we're reviewing these episodes, I had not decided we had listeners ask us about it and so we made an announcement that hey if we have a couple more people join patreon i guess that will show us there's interest in it and immediately people join patreon so thank you patrons this episode is coming out uh as a credit to you and so we are going to do a two-part series on the rise and fall of joshua harris uh, because if you've listened to this episode or as you will soon find out Joshua Harris is famously a fallen Christian. He is famously apostate. So, Matt, do you think, what do you think, Matt, if you were to uh, answer, why, why did they have to include, right? They included him uh, in, in an earlier episode about his involvement in the YRR and at Mars Hill. Why did we need, why do you think they thought we needed a full hour of content about an interview with him now. Yeah, I've been thinking about this because at, at first glimpse, it was like, why is this underneath this 
banner of <laughs> the rise and fall of Mars Hill because the connection was he knew Driscoll and preached there. But and he was popular. Right. But the, the, I think listening with the actual interview itself, it, it seems like maybe they're doing this to try to acknowledge that, that, you know, they've obviously brought up a lot of stories about people who have experienced uh, abuse and harm. And it, it almost seems like a way to, to present the gospel to um, to Joshua Harris, who obviously knows it, but it seems like Cosper's working hard to to get get Harris back on board. Um, so I don't know if if that's they're they're trying to make a, a distinction between this isn't uh, th- these issues weren't aren't indicative of what Christianity is supposed to be, mm. and you have I, he's got to be at least of our generation the most famous fallen Christian with the highest following right now, um, as far as his impact with the books he's written, you know, this, this was a huge guy. And now, um, you know, did a quick spiral, relatively quick spiral into, you know, a few years later, he's just not a Christian. He's not identifying as a Christian, as he would say. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you will, um, as even with the clips, uh, uh, especially in the second part of this, everyone will hear. I do think that there is a evangelistic um, motive behind part of this for sure. Um, and we'll see if we find other things because I do think that's important. I do think it is going to be a reasonable question if a podcast interview is a evangelistic uh, technique, um, if that is the way to go about it. But I do think this episode, um, for me, I actually, this is one of the few times where I listened to the episode twice before we came in. So I listened to it once and I rarely listen to things at, um, one X speed, as we say in the, uh, podcast app world. Um, but because I was driving and yeah, it's a lot easier to catch timestamps as you go by. Uh, at 1x speed and not sped up. I listened to it there and I found it at, at normal talking with the pauses and with how long it felt. I found this thing incredibly painful to listen to mm-hmm. both this story, both the presentation. I just, and I, and I was really kind of lost as, as those who know how we're reviewing these episodes go, I am always looking for what is the message that they are trying to communicate. And I listened to it all the way through once and I, I did not have a clear idea. And I don't think they had a really totally clear idea. However, as I listened to it a second time, and I especially listened to some of the um, audio that was added in later, either Mike Cosper's commentary or some of the other people they kind of brought in to do a few, a little bit of commentary on being an ex-evangelical or the YR. I think I found a, a decent, what we'd call a thesis statement, the kind of message they're trying to get across. And now I do think there are other things going on that, that I'll probably talk about as we go with Matt here. But Matt, let me give you the thesis. You can uh, tell me what you think. You can tell me if it, you think it's validated. And again, when I do this is I am trying to 
I'm not, uh, when I present the thesis statement, I am not being critical. I am trying to provide a thesis statement that I think Mike Cosper and Christianity Today would accept. And I, and I save criticisms for later if I have any. So the interview episode with Joshua Harris displays the destructive power of toxic celebrity-driven evangelical culture. And to learn from those who are hurt by it, like ex-evangelicals, like Harris, distinguish the hope from evangelicalism. So they're doing three things. Display the destructive power of the toxic celebrity culture in evangelicalism. For all Christians to learn from those who are hurt by it, like ex-evangelicals, that we need to learn from them. And then finally, um, to try and present the hope of the gospel and separate that from evangelicalism. So Matt, what do you think of my attempt, my best attempt at a thesis for this episode? Uh, I'd call it, uh, I'd call it fair. I think it's astute mm. and it seems to, I, I, I didn't know a whole lot about his origins, but uh, yeah, the, the, the celebrity driven evangelical culture seems to play a big role in, in uh, where he, you know, how he got so big so quickly and how his life was affected by the, his success and yeah. uh, what he was put up on. So, yeah, I think, that's, I think it's good. Great. Well, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the kind of co-host I want. Uh, total agreement. And even better, you have uh, brought us into where the first clip we're going to start with. We are going to start with how uh, Joshua Harris's origin story is presented. So part one of this uh, rise and fall of Joshua Harris is really going to focus on Joshua Harris's role in the Young, Restless, and Reformed and less about his apostasy. Uh, we will focus on that in part two. So this is going to talk about uh, his role in the Young, Restless, and Reformed, uh, the popularity of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, um, the, the abuse scandal that seemed to rock him later, um, and Sovereign Grace, which was a central, um, a central organization in the YRR. Um, and then actually towards the end of the episode, Mike Cosper, I think trying to wrap a bow on this, starts saying things like, this is what I want from the church from this whole series. And he makes these very interesting statements that I think are helpful in thinking about the rise and fall of Marcel in general. So let's start with Colin Hansen telling us about the YRR and who Joshua Harris is. Here's Colin Hansen. So a lot of what I was doing in Young Restless Reformed was focusing on that restless part. What I was trying to capture was that this is a new, different movement. Uh, this is not the same sort of Presbyterian circles, the same sort of Dutch Reformed circles. This was Reformed theology breaking out into places where you least expected it. And one of those places you least expected it would have been in the charismatic community, in the Pentecostal community. And you, you didn't expect to see that in these large youth conferences. And you didn't expect to see it from one of the most spectacular boy wonders of evangelical history in Josh Harris. I mean, how many people are writing writing books before they're 18 or at 18 that sell more than a million copies? And you could go certainly around the United States to any corner 
whether especially if you grew up in the 90s or the early to mid 2000s and immediately everyone you knew as a christian had either read that book or knew everything about that book and had a really 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 strong opinion about that book um simply put there just weren't many young christian leaders who were as influential as Josh Harris. The... All right. So in our first clip, we get a few things. One, if I'm Josh Harris today, I probably cringe at Colin Hansen calling me a boy wonder. They came back to that so often. Mike Cosper just kept going back to that yep. throughout this whole episode. Right, Contreras, you boy wonder podcasting uh, hero <laughs> stepping in at the, the last hour. Um, and so we have the, the, the description of the YRR from Colin Hansen, who wrote the original book that he focused it on the interesting, right? It's the restlessness was the really important thing that it's this new thing happening, reformed theology showing up in places that it, you would not expect it. And of course you would not expect it in a Pentecostal circle because, <laughs> Basically, all of the Reformed confessions are cessationist. And so what we have, we have that interesting mix. And then we have, um, obviously, with Joshua Harris, a major evangelical celebrity. Um, I remember watching, you can see it as a kid, um, there is an MTV Spring Break special where Joshua Harris is on it as a oh young gosh. dude explaining like, we're here for purity, but we can still like be down here. It's <laughs> totally outrageous. But um, yeah, that you would not expect a young evangelical celebrity to say like, I am going to wed myself to Calvinism and, and one of these um, Calvinists uh, coalition. So yeah. what did you think about his origin story as told by Colin Hansen? Yeah. I, I didn't know much about Joshua Harris, I think, back in those days. Did you ever read I Kissed Dating Goodbye? I did not. Uh, I did not I was... either. I didn't. I feel like I heard about it all the time, eventually, more so in college than, and that would have been 2007. Um, I heard about it more then than I'd ever heard about it before. So, you know, well after it was written. And right. I heard a lot of people talk about it. I didn't really have an opinion on it um, because I hadn't read it. And I always meant to get around to reading it. And then I just started reading other stuff. Yeah. Um, so the book was released in 1997. Um, so just a yeah, little so was bit. 10 years late to the party. That's right. And re-released in uh, 2003. And so, um, and then as you, you learn later, um, Harris gets the book retracted and taken out of print by his publisher in 2016. Though, if you are so interested in this content, that is the kind of book you can find at every Goodwill in this country next to a Left <laughs> Behind book. Uh, if you need some help with dating from Joshua Harris. Um, I do think by the time that you and I are just, you know, we are just slightly um, too young to have been that thing's that book's target audience right yeah. it's a very like it's a very gen x kind of book right that you know this kind of dissatisfaction um and so 
this is a great thing. So in case, and we have a lot of listeners younger than us, we're going to listen to Joshua Harris for the next minute, explain the motive and heart behind I Kiss Dating Goodbye, his, his book that he has now denounced, retracted. And so Matt Contreras, as you listen to him explain the heart behind I Kiss Dating Goodbye, you will be playing yay, nay, or nuance. Yes. So yes, you will. You are going to tell me. So obviously, as our listeners know, you are going to be telling me if with what he explains, why he wrote the book, what his heart was behind it. Are you a yay on the heart of the book? Are you a nay or will you cop out with a nuance? And if you try to go to nuance, I'm going to try and push you over the head one way or the other. So, Well, Pastor Michael goes to nuance all the time, right? So He does. Um, and I... <laughs> And I'll say you this: do I, push. Proud, I, I do push, and I proudly, in our uh, uh, another good patron shout out here, in our last Patreon episode where we gave our yay, nay, or nuance opinions about the Tim Keller tweet, we recently did an episode on. I got him off nuance. I got him to a hard answer. It felt it was a great victory for the it's show. It's a great win. It was so yay, nay, or nuance <laughs> on the heart behind I kissed dating goodbye premise of I Kiss Dating Goodbye was that sex before marriage was one of the worst, most dangerous things, one of the biggest deals when it came to the list of sins. At least that was the way I thought as a teenager growing up in an evangelical church. And I Kiss Dating Goodbye tried to play out the implications of that. Like, if this is, if this is really this bad, then we need to take this seriously. So I was a zealous, uh, idealistic, kid who was saying, guys, we need to really love Jesus. We need to honor each other. And so dating is leading to compromise. There was so much fear around AIDS. There was so much fear around the possibility of unwanted pregnancy and abortion. There were all these bigger battles that were being waged in the culture. And so I basically said, we need to go a step further. And dating is actually a thing we should avoid. Why put ourselves in a situation where we could compromise? The personalities of Josh uh, let me play this. Harris and Mark Driscoll couldn't be more different. Sorry, we just needed that clip. Just I have decided to just leave that in where, so we could hear Mike Cosper let you know that Joshua Harris, who he's going to interview for an hour, is nothing like... Mark Driscoll. Um, <laughs> we'll come back to that. But for now, we have a more important question. Matt Contreras, Joshua Harris, looks back on his naive 18-year-old self and the book he wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yay, nay, or nuance? So what am I answering on the yay, nay, are, or nuance? Are you, are you with 18-year-old Joshua Harris when it comes to the the broad strokes of what like the what he just presented for a minute are you yay nay or nuance to the um, purpose uh, and as it was explained now content of I kiss dating goodbye I'm uh, I'm gonna go new no I'm not I'm gonna go yay I'm gonna go yay on this all right I, you're, I'm you're... struggling to find <laughs> so and here's here's the explanation that I'm going to give, and you can feel free. Um, great. To, I'm, I'm already go. feeling great. You've just given <laughs> one of the least popular possible takes ever. 
on a book that was retracted <laughs> and has been has, has been trashed. So I'm already happy. Here, here's the explanation, though. Um, so given uh, it's like it's you want to nuance it, but then you don't. Given the Bible, like go back to what our culture looked like, what it currently looks like, um, where it is now, even like in the 90, on 97, like sex before marriage is considered a given. And it's considered something that you should do. It is healthy to do this. And compare that with what the Bible has to indicate about sexual immorality. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Let the marriage, Hebrews 13, let the marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immor uh, immoral and adulterous. Now, I say this as a person who has committed much sexual immorality through pornography. So I'm, I'm including myself in, in how I think about these things. I would, I would affirm, yes, sex before marriage. I, I don't know if I would call it one of the worst sins, but there is a distinction placed on it in scripture. And mm -hmm. it is really important. And it is something that the, the entirety of scripture talks about, not just, I mean, I mentioned a couple New Testament verses here, but this is, um, this is a very important topic and a very important thing. And our culture's saying in the time he's writing that this is, you should do this. This is something you should, you should start to form these, these bonds with other people, um, and it, it doesn't matter. And it's actually strange and weird if you don't. You're, you're not going to be able to go to uh, a marriage fully informed if you don't do this before marriage. Right. So the, the thing I, you know, what I would tend to disagree with is like, there's all this fear about AIDS and unwanted pregnancies and abortion and all this. Yes, those are, those are problems. But I would hope, uh, and and I, you know, driven by those in my my own walk. You know, I had my own issues with years of, of pornography use, but you know, my my wife and I were, you know, both virgins when we got married, so we were able to to do that. Not that that, but we, I had my own sin. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to to throw myself underneath the sin banner as much as possible here, because I'm not trying to make a distinction that we in any way better than anybody else i yeah you know i'm not trying to make that claim at all but the, the one thing I, I would say about all those things is hopefully our what should drive us to an obedience to god's word is not the fear of aids and unwanted pregnancies right. and abortion it should be the fear of god and wanting to obey him they these are consequences that do happen out of sexual relationships that start before marriage we don't obey God and try to follow his word based on the consequences. We, we should do it out of a fear and, and love of God. And that's maybe where this all, you know, there was a lot in the, you know, I, I definitely knew about things in what they would call purity culture, like all these scare tactics about all these things that can happen, but you're, you're not addressed. You're not giving the motivation you should in abstaining from sexual immorality. And of course, now we're fully into uh, 
where the Christians in our day now talking significantly after 1997, now in 2022, the Christian church can't, the Christian churches, and I'm using quotes here, um, can't agree on what sexual morality actually is. Right. Yeah. I think that I, I am a, I am a yay. I'm, I'm always here for the, I'm always here for the, the no good takes. I think the only in what he presented, the potentially, uh, the only potential thing I'd want to nuance is, so that's why we have to avoid dating at all. Again, now when you're writing to a basically high school audience in the nineties, ah, that's probably pretty good advice. Yeah. You probably should be done with this. Right. Um, and, and, um, however, well, of course, like Matt, I didn't read this book. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I have no problem with the, the seriousness of sexual sin. Um, I think, I do think the book itself is potentially known for at least a certain degree of fear mongering, though I can't speak to that for sure. Not ideal if it is. Right. Um, the problem the problem with purity culture is we didn't end up in a better place after it. It didn't right. <laughs> appear to positively affect purity at all. And that's the, that's the, that's the end of the day problem. Yes, there were scare tactics, but guess what? Like those, those scare tactics are the wrong way to um, encourage obedience and godliness but basically all of their bad predictions have come true. Um, and the other, but the other issue is, is that it, it just didn't, it didn't produce godliness, it didn't produce godliness um, on a, on a large scale at all. Um, and obviously even um, sadly in the end with Joshua Harris's life is it, it doesn't. So th- that's the problem with purity culture, right? Purity the idea of like, let's teach people the importance of purity. Yeah, obviously. I mean, Paul says every other sin you commit outside your body. Like there is a, there is, I mean, Paul is, is talking about the harm of it, but he sets it apart from literally every other sin. So it seems like it could be a big deal. Right. And so fornication, all, all kinds of sexual immorality are, are a sin and are a problem and and need to be dealt with um with even potentially extreme looking measures to the culture and the problem is purity culture failed but i think we're at the point and this is why i i'm i'm willing to go yay with this book is if purity culture was suffering from scare tactics and legalism i just don't know that that is the that's the thing we're really we're confronting now right I don't and so my answer my <laughs> yay could just be could be a, again a reaction to this moment which is is so far removed from 1997 yeah it's hard to argue that things have gotten better in, right as far as sexual morality is concerned since 1997 right um, and yeah that's i'm with you on the nuance part like i said you want to nuance it but then you don't because right no. nuance is you want to try to avoid that at all costs that's well, what I'm, i don't know how many times we're playing this but my goal was to not nuance if i could get away with it well I, i'll have to say too, and that's a good this goal. whole thing but again the, like i oh go ahead 
no, no, I was just going to say, like, think about it in like, and if you're just dying because we didn't nuance it, talk to your own kid about these issues. And if like you hear that and go, well, there are things I agree with and things I don't like, no, that's, that would be dumb to do, to be like, I want to, again, I, I think that there is a great love of exact, precise theological statements and, and exact like, well, how could this impact everyone? And that is fine and in good in its place. We just don't live in a time that needs, that it can even handle an extensive clarification. We need to, we live in a time where it is hard to say in many work environments that men, that man and woman were created in two genders right. by God in his image. Like we live in that hard time. We live in, right. we live in a hard time where even like, picking up the confession and to go to a different issue and say um when it says there are only two reasons for divorce people go well that's gonna lock a lot of people in bad marriages like you know like you can pick almost any issue and where just a sensible biblical teaching is you it feels the need to qualify it away there is a place for nuance but there's a reason that every almost any question you can be asked everyone's like well i guess i kind of want to do nuance right and yeah that's such a great point and i can i'm already like hearing you know the voices in my head of i don't know if many of the listeners would do this but hearing the voices of people who would who would want to say things against this and what i would add to my explanation is like this is not if if you're if you're, I'd, the way that you work out sexual morality uh, and, and abiding by God's word for abstaining from sexual immorality works itself out in a way to where you have like a, a young couple that engages, that starts a sexual relationship before marriage and they're then shunned and ostracized and they, they you don't have an environment of we, hey, we all have our own sexual morality that plays itself out. We have a, all of our own ways that we deal with temptations and we've all fallen and we've all are sinful. If you don't have that environment and it's very much, well, you failed the test. You're now done for good. You can't be in our church anymore. There's no practical way for someone to kind of work through those issues um, and come to a place of understanding with the church and the church to kind of lovingly walk with people through sin. That's should hopefully be a goal of the church is that, Hey, we're all sinning here. We are all sinners. We can be open about our sin and uh, come to the one who will make us well. We are all repenting together. So if the culture is built to where nobody can confess any type of sin or any type of struggle without fear of, persecution or fear of ostracization then then there's a problem there all right let me push into this one more time and we'll and we'll try and move on but this reminds me of i was i was someone was posting about the differences between like how the puritans would handle sexual sin and modern evangelicals so the puritans it's you know son gets caught uh girl gets pregnant right they're not married they're young and the son and the father goes, wow, son, you've committed a grievous sin against God. And, and you've probably brought shame to our family. 
Let's go to the pastors. I'm going to take you there where you can confess your sin. And we're going to go buy you a wedding ring. And welcome to this child into our family. You're going to repent. You're going to marry this girl. And I'm going to enjoy having grandchildren. And so you guys can have a lawful relationship. And people view that as like, um, yeah, almost insane and unloving. But it, but it's the opposite. It's you sin. Let's confess it. And then let's carry Take on responsibility. Godliness. Yeah. And carry on in godliness and go make more babies. I right. I'm excited for this. Right. And then modern evangelical son gets caught with a girl son. You need to feel really bad about this. I don't think we're going to tell anyone about it. I am going to send you to college. You're not going to get married there. I want you to really try to not fall into any of these kinds of sin. Go ahead, put off marriage until you've got your degree and I have a job and and maybe at a men's night tell some men about this and and try and feel better and yeah of course of course everything is ruined when that's the advice that's being given um i i anyway so sorry we could go on to this for a long time but let's listen to a little bit of the early flack joshua harris took um, we hear a lot of the we hear actually in this podcast about a lot about the times where Joshua Harris was criticized. Um, even as a boy wonder, he had to he had to face criticism. So let's hear about some of the early criticism he faced. To register the critique that was coming. One of the first that I remember was Boundaries and Dating was a book that came out that specifically addressed I kiss dating and bye. And that's kind of what happened was other books on dating had to sort of address the elephant in the room, which was this mindset that dating was wrong. And they sought to do that in a thoughtful, you know, biblical way of saying, here's a text that, that addresses this mindset, you know, I kiss dating goodbye. Isn't everything. It's maybe an unhealthy way of dealing with it. And that troubled me. I remember being in the Barnes and Noble reading this, just, you know, standing in the bookstore reading this going, whoa. And I remember going to CJ Mahaney, who was my mentor and communicating that I was troubled by this. And he essentially challenged me like, Josh, you're being too concerned about people's criticism. And part of being a good leader is you don't bow to this kind of criticism. You got to be strong. And so I, you know, I kind of took that to heart, like, oh boy, I need, I need to be a strong leader and just kind of stand my ground. And you know, I look back on that, that's not CJ's fault. I needed to be more willing to think for myself. That's part of the, the problem that I experienced. But that was a key moment of, of really not listening. So it's easy when minister- Matt, is this method of handling criticism solid advice for a guy who who probably cares too much about what people think about him. Uh, let's be, let's be honest about that. Or is this the, is this the early form of what Big Giva just does today, where you criticize them and they just pretend these critiques do not exist? What is going on in this clip with CJ Mahaney? I'm just, the thing I keep coming back to is. I am uh, struck by Harris when he says 
I need to do this to be a good leader. I need to think more for myself because it seems like throughout this interview, he builds the case that he is unable to do that. Like, and I'm not, I know I don't mean that as a, as a harsh criticism, but more as an observation that much of what he's doing is uh, like how he is working things out is that he, he makes mentions of like, leave me alone. I'm going to do this, or I want to think for myself, but then it seems like he will just listen immediately to, to whatever comes in and then base his life and his uh, public reactions accordingly based on the, the pushback he receives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I think that that is clear. Uh, we, wa- we aren't going to listen to this clip, but right. The key example. And I remember when this happened on Twitter is Joshua Harris announces he is going to create an online deconstruction class for $200, <laughs> which wow. Um, and then he, he literally deletes it because he gets so much pushback from the deconstruction ex-evangelicals. Yeah. It was very um, quick that it was gone. Yeah. Even though he had that promo code, if you, if you had been harmed by, by his work, you could yeah. do it for free. Um, right. But uh, yeah, he, it was like right away. I think it was like a couple of weeks, right? Or like a week. Yeah, it was days. It was days. days. It was up for days. So, all right, let's listen to two clips um, about um, what happened in the Sovereign Grace meltdown. So many people are familiar We're not going to walk through all this history, but Sovereign Grace as a ministry, as a church planting group, um, as the place pumping out the music people liked, um, really fell apart uh, due to uh, an apparent cover-up of sexual abuse. um, That There's debate still today over if C.J. Mahaney knew about it um, beforehand and how long this was ongoing and all kinds of questions to it, but, but this uh, was one of the very important things that started breaking up together for the gospel and T4G. And obviously in Harris's story uh, plays a pretty important role in the trajectory that he was sent on. They're under this brand of we are sovereign grace. You can walk into our church and you'll get the same great experience as you do, you know, it's like Starbucks of churches. Well, when you find out that some of the beans are poisoned, that affects the entire brand, right? And so all of that was taking place. All of that was falling apart behind the scenes. And when it did, I, I made choices as a local pastor, and it involved not just defending CJ and the other apostles. During that time, Josh began to recognize that there were elements of Sovereign Grace's culture that were rigid and legalistic in ways that were extra biblical. That included issues like child rearing, homeschooling, women working outside the home, and courtship and dating. All these years. So let me pause it here for two quick things. Um, so this, this, this is one of the clips that just these are the kinds of clips that they slip into this that drive me crazy. Yeah. One, we do have the of course, fascinating. Uh, well, it was a big box church, so we rolled these suckers out, and you know, if we built them, they would come, right? I'm, you know, I'm excited when I get a 
a new chain restaurant nearby, you know, I'll, you know, I'll get into the drive-through if a Chick-fil-A comes because I know I'll have that same great experience. Um, and that that was, uh, you know, so, so leaving this, this kind of big box church mentality aside. So this, there's a sex abuse scandal, right? In the sovereign grace ministries. Also, I guess I'm also leaving aside that he called CJ Mahaney. And again, I'm probably leaving this aside, to be honest, because he's an apostate. So I don't really trust the terms he's going to use for things. He called CJ Mahaney and the others apostles. I really yes. hope that is not. I really hope that was not their title, by the way. Yeah, um, I caught that too. It was like the, the apostle. Like maybe, maybe it was a slip, but yeah. I, I hope that's not how they were known. Correct. I hope not. So listener, if you know if, uh, those folks were known as apostles. Go ahead and let us know. So what what gets me is, okay, so there is an abuse scandal. And let's even grant the truth of it for the sake of my next point. It caused Joshua Harris to question a lot about the church's legalistic structure. There are things that could cause you to tr- uh, lose trust in, right? It could cause you to lose trust people in the leadership if they are caught to be covering this up it could cause you to lose trust in the uh the whole structure of the organization right it could cause you to lose trust in a lot of things but it caused joshua harris apparently to lose trust in teachings about child rearing and homeschooling and dating um now of course these are all contexts where abuse can happen but as seems to often come up we're getting a, we are getting a, like a, a gut check on, well, all the, all the conservative practices are the kinds of things that we're, we're calling into question. Right. We're including, uh, it seemingly we're just including anything that would be remotely considered uh, conservative reformed theology and questioning it at all because there was an abuse scandal um, instead of looking at that specific abuse and what went into that now we're calling into question everything else um even if that's not being uh how do i want to say this i even if it that's those things aren't contributing to the abuse or right um but i I feel like i just want example like like instead of just mentioning like you could have legalistic practices about these things and maybe they did. It's just when you slip it in like that, it's like, give me an example of that right. instead of like, well, now do we not need to homeschool now? Like what is homeschooling bad? Like right. is what about child rearing? Do I need to completely rethink that? Like give, right. give us an example of what that legalistic practice yes. was. Yes. The ambiguity um, does, is doing a lot of work because there could be specific examples that would be unhelpful because right. If there is apostolic style leadership going on, why doesn't it call that big question? Right. <laughs> it should call that kind of, or is it a really good idea that we're going to basically franchise these and, and roll them out, right? Is that, these are all the kinds of things that could be called into question. All right, let's finish this quote. There's of that kind of incredible pressure and manipulation and control was just coming out in a lot of painful stories and they were sharing those. And our pastoral team ended up coming to the church and apologizing for some of these practices that we started to see. But that was, that was the first time that I, I thought, Oh my goodness, 
my book played a part in this. My book was a, was a big part of creating a culture. Churches in Christ. Um, yeah, I, I obviously do not know um, how his book played into this abuse scandal. Um, but let's listen to uh, what is honestly, I'm sure for him, a really hard thing where it talks, where we get into the, this is the last clip we're going to listen to about the sovereign grace scandal. And then we're going to listen to two clips about what is the purpose of this interview and these problems, bringing these up for the church. Um, and so here we'll listen to this clip about pastoral failures and the mishandling of abuse. Who's like, I want to share the findings with you. You guys made some massive mistakes, some key mistakes in how you, you should have reported things to the police and you didn't. And I had been in a mindset of saying, you know what, if, if guys on my team, you know, have made significant mistakes, no matter how much I love them, even if they were well-intentioned, I need to be willing to let my, you know, let them go, fire them, you know, to protect the church and so on. And this guy's on the phone saying, this is the most significant mistake. When this person came back and asked this and told you this, you should have gone to the police at that time. You tried to handle it in a reconciliation kind of format and so on. And Josh, you were the leader at that time. And I, that was, that was the first time that I considered that maybe I wasn't going to be the pastor of Covenant Life for 30 years, like CJ, like John Piper had been of Bethlehem, like John MacArthur was of, you know, his church. Like that was my whole structure and vision of my life. And that moment of realizing my own failure was really the beginning of a lot of my own self-identity falling apart. In the years since, Den Hollander and others have continued to call for a truly independent, third-party investigation into the handling of these abuse cases by Sovereign Grace. Christianity Today joined that call for an investigation in March of 2018. All right. So, obviously, a heavy clip. There are a few things worth noting. Um, let's start, Matt. We'll go to you here. Um, hearing Joshua Harris reflect on, on apparent failure as a pastor and mishandling of abuse. What do you, uh, what do you think about that? It's like you alluded to uh, at the beginning of this episode. It is, it's hard to hear. It's, it's very difficult. It's very sad. Um, if you kind of like, you know, having, having that brought to your attention, having somebody on the phone with you um, and you know, when you're in this type of position, uh, you know, I believe that that Harris uh, cared about his congregation and that obviously it was very meaningful to him. But to realize, um, to, to have that be confronted in front of you about some potential feelings um, and, and have it worded to you like that, that's obviously going to be very impactful on you. And that's a very difficult situation for you to kind of come to grips with it uh, if you... Uh, played a role in and and i'm not really sure of the you know all the ins and outs here um right but that's obviously going to be uh, a very important moment for you and a moment of uh that that really obviously affected him yeah yeah totally it did 
um, because it is seems to put him on the trajectory where he will leave the church, right? And which we'll, we'll follow up on. So I think there are a few important things, right? All of these people calling for all of these further investigations. Um, there is... There is, yeah, unfortunately, uh, an, a cottage industry in calling for these kinds of things um, and dissatisfaction with how the justice system often handles that, um, which is probably too big of a subject to open up at this point. But what I do think is, is, is clear is um, I am certain uh, there is there it's almost a there needs to be both so right he is uh chastised in this phone call for not calling the police when a, um an apparent crime is confessed right. to him or he becomes aware of now it's possible the situation was not clear enough for him to understand it was a crime um i don't know but if it was it was in fact his duty to call the police right, right. it is his duty um the state God has given the state a sword to sort these things out. However, and this is perhaps the other unpopular side, I guess both of these are kind of unpopular. The other side is it's also his duty to work towards reconciliation as a pastor. And I'm here promoting a both hand, right? That doesn't relieve you of any responsibility to call the police, to have the authorities do a criminal investigation of, any kinds of abuse or allegation thereof, right? Um, but also, it's your job as a pastor to meet the offender and the offended as a pastor. And now I am not uh, claiming you need to get them together. And, you know, I'm not saying that that these things are fast or easy, you know, um, or that would be appropriate. But I am saying that um, being a pastor still requires you to be a spiritual leader, even as the kingdom of the state enacts justice on the situation. It, it's a great reminder that pastoring is not like preaching does not make you qualified to be a pastor. Right. That is of like a lot of guys will go into pastoring because they do you know they've read their bibles maybe and they've you know they went to a seminary or not and, but they, they can just speak well and they can get together a sermon but that is that's not the hard work of being a pat that the hard work of being a pastor is not coming up with what you're going to talk right. about on sunday morning it's the actual shepherding of your flock and and having uh you know having the ab ability learning the ability i guess too of this these are people's you're handling a, an entire flock who are all in different spots and there are going to be difficult things to navigate through and right i i would heartily affirm what you're saying you have to work through both and it's not saying that you're gonna get two people together and they're gonna hug it out and they're gonna right. be the best of friends that's not necessarily what reconciliation looks like there but yeah, call the police if you need and, to call the police, and yeah. uh, we're going to have to work through this. And and the police might tell you they can't be in the same place, and then that is another right. pastoral thing you'll have to work through, and right. they can't see each other, and and that's fine because that is in sadly in some cases a necessity. 
right. in, in the world of sin we live in. So since I'm talking to a non-pastor, let me ask you a non-pastor question. <laughs> why would God, is there, why would God, because, right, Joshua Harris is, is scandalized at his own failure as a pastor. And again, it sounds pretty scandalous. Why would God call pastors who fail? Why, why does God want fallible men to be pastors? Or does he? Or does, or does a pastoral failure of any kind, does that mean, sorry, you're not supposed to be in office? Uh, and again, I'm not speaking of whatever this failure obviously was, because I can't know because he decided not to tell me. So, and, I'm not, and I don't care to ask, but in general... Right. These are the these are the hard questions for the layman here. That's right. Um, so it, it just seems like a, a a difficult question to answer because there is not an infallible person leading leading the churches. There's there's just right. not. So it's like in one sense because that's the only people that are there. You're going to have fallible yep. people doing it anyway. That there's just no one. Uh, who's not infallible. Um, so that's one side of it, but the other side is that just, I don't think that one, one instance of, of a, a failing is necessarily a disqualification, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's hard to, to to say definitively because it's so situationally based. If this is right. again, if, if he has again, we don't know what happened. He didn't tell us and we're not asking him. And, you know, maybe you'll get him on the podcast someday. But Joshua Harris, <laughs> I probably welcome know. here. <laughs> yeah, we um, might have it. It might be a bit different of a conversation than with mike your buddy but one, one week flame and then next week we're gonna right. do joshua harris um but if if he had knowledge that a crime had been committed and did not go to police that is a that is a large mm-hmm. failing that is a yeah. that is not um that's not a, a minor thing yeah but so it, I, God also uses, I'll say this, God uses fallible, the fallible to demonstrate his grace and how he, his mercy and working through sanctification through people that you hopefully, hopefully are, are open about their fallibility um, and, and their, their own failings and their struggles who, so it's not like they're put up on some type of pedestal and that they're perfect, uh, but there are situations if you do have a failing of that magnitude, yes, that, that, that is something that, that could disqualify you from the ministry. That's a, that's not a small issue there. Right. I, and I agree in that case, I will say God only calls pastors who fail in their pastoral duties. Um, even uh, you can even think into the new Testament, think about Peter um, and the significant failure that Paul confronts him in. God only calls pastors who fail. If you have a pastor who has any degree of authority in your life that you are trying to submit to biblically, 
he will disappoint you with something he does. And Calvin makes this fascinating statement. Uh, I wish I had it in front of me, but he says that God could have preached the gospel to us by angels, but he chose sinful men. Um, And he says, and I think he says that his understanding, and I think there could be a lot of purposes in it. Calvin says that you would be humble in having to submit yourself to someone you know is fallible. And this is the same, you know, this goes for parents, right? Why would God let someone who is as sinful as me raise my children and have to discipline my children, right? God has chosen uh, to do this via sinful people. This is God's way. Um, The Peter example is really interesting because, you know, Jesus tells Peter directly to feed my sheep. And then this is like beyond going viral. Like, Paul etches in scripture right Peter's huge moral failing uh right. in failing to lead the sheep like that's a that, that's holy... gone out to centuries of of people in all different yeah. types of languages Peter's sin is captured um yeah. the holy amazing. spirit inspires scripture in order to <laughs> confront Peter's error yeah so that is the last one kind of brings us to the last two clips we will play um, before we do part two about apostasy. The last two clips are where Cosper and the, the episode get into what, what are we doing here? What they, uh, what Joshua Harris hopes for the church and what, how Cosper thinks this kind of interview is helping. So let's do uh, let's play these two clips. And I think the Christian message uh, provides that that life, that pathway of constant repentance. And I, I'm so I mean, I, I there's when I put my Christian hat on, I would just say absolutely. I mean, the church should be known for its repentance, right? I mean, if it believes everything that you're describing about the the gospel and and that reforming work of the Holy Spirit, it should be known for constantly repenting. So I think that I think that that's uh, I think that's beautiful, and and I I would love to be a part of encouraging that response in people who are still in churches. And I might end up in the church again down the road. You know, I don't I don't want to shut the the door to that. I still do struggle with even the what you what you describe as the gospel over and against law. There's still a part of me that says it's still a good news that if you don't receive, you go to hell forever. If that is at the very core of the message, does that justify the kind of manipulative, controlling, abusive behavior? I mean, I think so. Okay, so we we got a little bit into the apostasy here. Yeah. So what we have. So let me just say one thing pretty clearly. This is, this is, I think, potentially where, where we go, where we, where, I mean, I don't know about our, I, I assume our listeners would feel the same way. That is so painful to listen to a guy just kind of mumbling his way through through this idea i'm really uh, glad they kept the pauses like you they're 
they're very helpful to kind of understand the the state that he's in as he tries to explain his point. Right. I mean, this, you know, he he is saying what I hope the church will learn, right? I I hope to encourage this in the church. Man, the the things the Bible says we learn from apostates are are not we are we do not come looking for encouragement for what the church is to be that's just uh that's just the case i don't know what it what struck you as you as you listen to this it it's again he's he's thinking through what he's trying to say but it also i keep coming back to i just don't Mike Cosper kind of alluded to this, like that this interview could have gone three different ways, depending on what time of the week they had recorded it. And I just wondered, does, would Harris give the same answer depending Mm. on, you know, is he, is, is he saying this because Mike Cosper is the interviewer? If there's a different person interviewing him, that's not a Christian. Is he going to say any of these things that he hopes for with the church? Um, I don't, I don't know, but also what I, what sticks out is you, you don't like the gospel because you, this isn't, you're, again, you're merging the manipulation you and the abuses into the fact that God has a has the ability to judge and that God commands us to live uh, in certain ways. Like we are to believe in in Jesus Christ. Um, Christ has paid the penalty for our sin that we have sin at all. And that God is just, if he sends sinners to hell, like this is, this is what you have a problem with as you kind of work through these, all these other things. What, your whole experience and everything you've walked through has led you to is I don't like the fact that God has this power and that he has the right to do this. I don't like that message of Christianity and you can add in all the other things you want to, to it. And obviously your experiences are going to affect, affect you as you kind of work through these things, but that's a huge thing. He just kind of threw in there um, and attached like, if that's the message, which I don't like, does that justify all these abuses? Yeah. I, I think as you listen to how this, you, as, I, as I begin to think how this thing got edited, um, man, I think they purposely avoid or cut out probably all of his opinions about Christian orthodoxy as much as they can. Because I do not think it would sound so like friendly right even this like one sentence where it's like well you know you're talking about the difference between the law and the gospel and 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 we and we bring up hell one man like god's justice is something we love not something we hate because we're christians and we love god as he is right that is the that is the sign of a regeneration is that I can love and accept God even in the parts of him 
that the world hates and that my flesh would naturally hate. Um, I think the other big thing you see with this is, you know, he is redefining all of these religious terms. What do you, <laughs> I'll give an example. And then I want to ask you one of these questions. Um, sorry, right. When he's talking about the law and the gospel, what he means is like, you know, we want a God that's all gospel and we want to preach the gospel and not, you know, it's not the law. And he equates the law with the God sending people to hell. Well, when, when the reformed churches, when the Protestant churches talk about law and gospel, we're saying the law that convicts you of sin, the law isn't the bad part. The law is just the part that can't save you, right? Like the acknowledgement of the righteousness, goodness of the law, and you're falling short of it is all right and correct and just and needs to be preached. But the difference is, is that it can't save you. That's what the distinguishing law and gospel is. The, his, their, the way he's using law is this law approach to life. Right. Which, which is not the same. How do you think he is defining repentance? That's the real, because that's the one he brings up a lot. And I bet it's different. I more question what does he think people need to repent of? Yes. Um, you got it. It's I, I would on the, the statement on its surface, I'm a yay on it. Yeah, we should be, we should be continually repenting. Um, and uh, that that's, that's great to do. I just don't know of what uh, in Joshua Harris's mind, I believe we would have a disagreement over what to repent of and what things uh i it was uh i think it was uh, it was on one of uh doug wilson's recent blogs where he said you don't repent of something that wasn't sin you don't you don't apologize you know so i i just wonder what he thinks the church needs to repent of because right now how he's how he's acting out in the public eye and his all of his issues with christianity I think he would include, we just need to repent of basic Christian orthodoxy, and that would be good. Well, I didn't tell you this before. So long before we were ever going to make this episode, um, Joshua Harris had posted his um, letter explaining why he was leaving Christianity to social media. And he starts with Martin Luther's quote, that all of the Christian life is to be one of repentance, and that he's continuing to repent now, as in give up Christianity right um again it's this it's it's so it's exactly what you're it's exactly what you suspected what he means by repent is christianity needs to be willing to change its mind about all the things it believes whereas repentance is actually being willing to admit and change in all the ways i fall short right condemn myself not right say you know i guess we were kind of wrong about um you know uh any these things about dating and right uh obviously the the secret thing in the background that everyone knows he's talking about is lgbtq issues right. no one no one should no one should pretend that isn't part uh that the church's treatment of that is not something to be repented of and it's fine to repent of anything that's a sin but the point right. we're we're just talking about the church needs to be known for constantly changing that, you know, being willing to change its mind. Yeah. Well, and abandon what, right. uh, 
what the Bible defines. It's like the, it's like the answer to like you brought up dating again. So this is where it all started. I, I just gotta say, we've got you you're sharing your screen with me. I love the the image that they used. They made the the kiss dating goodbye book in a trash can. <laughs> like that that's just a great that's a great graphic. Um but the answer to you know the the issues with purity culture is not to say, well, I guess we were wrong about sex before marriage. We should probably repent of that and encourage that in our children uh, as they enter, as they turn 13 and 14 and 15. Let's, hey, you know what? Uh, we were wrong about that. That's not the answer to how, you know, we, the church definitely can have issues in how we go about trying to follow God's word, but yep. some, there are some things that the Bible uh, speaks to that are hard, uh, that have been historically difficult uh, to determine uh, what's being said, which I think is, you know, drives, you know, uh, hey, hey, you know, I'm, I'm taking the place of a Presbyterian and, uh, uh, and I'm a, a Baptist right now. Although I do find myself when I, whenever Presbyterian comes up, I find myself defending the Presbyterian. So I'm always like, hey, well, wait a minute. I know them. And I, that's not what they, that's not what they're actually doing. I feel like I'm so close to the line here, but the, so there are divisions in there, you know, about practices, baptism and, and eschatology and all those things. But there are also things the Bible speaks to that are not hard. Um, there are things that are clearly stated uh, and they're not difficult and it, the church doesn't need to repent of trying to follow those things. It should right. be, we could repent of maybe how that was, how that was presented. It, if there was yeah. abuse or intimidation or something involved in there, if there was, as he's alleging, as he's you know alluding to manipulation, uh, then yes, we can repent of those things, but we don't need to repent of holding to a biblical view because especially when God has just clearly indicated what it is. I'm glad you brought up the, the LGBTQ stuff. I just, I, I sent you this picture ahead of time. Like it was, and it, it drives home to me that Josh Harris, I feel sorry for him because he just seems so culturally defined by what anybody's telling him. Like, I think it was like two weeks after, cause I looked it up. It was just a couple weeks after he, you know, had fully announced he was, not identifying as a Christian that he just showed up to a pride parade and he's like wearing a, a rainbow t-shirt and holding like a rainbow pastry or bagel or something. And he's just like, kind of like smiling. And he like posted this uh, on social media and it of course got reactions on all sides of like people that were mad at him for going this way. And then there were other people that were mad at him. Like, why are you identifying with us? Like, how dare you like just try to, to do right. this? It was, it's interesting to watch, but he just seems like a guy who is just carried about um, to and fro by whatever he, whatever people react to him at. And I and just hope that he, he does come back to the yeah, church. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. Because here's the difference between Jesus Christ and his people and the world. They are not going to receive your repentance or your penitence or whatever self-flagellation you do, they are never going to accept you, ever. And, and the truth is, is like, even in, 
even in reconciliation that happens between people, like it is possible you could damage a relationship in a way you could never repair. Mm-hmm. But this is, the, this is the actual good news is that Jesus Christ is ready to receive your actual repentance. And, yes. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the difference. And so um, we will, there is plenty more to get into with the issues around his apostasy um, and, and the description he has of it. And I think the evangelistic intent of, of the episode, I think will come out more in the next one. Um, but I want to listen to Mike Cosper before we leave. I think he gave a final interview clip that, that I think he, I mean, he basically says, here's why I'm doing the show. And so I want to listen to that uh, as our last clip. News that if you don't receive, you go to hell forever. If that is at the very core of the message, does that justify the kind of manipulative, controlling, abusive behavior? I mean, I think part of the reason we're in this project is that to try to sort of as strongly as we can say that that it absolutely doesn't. The way that evangelical celebrity culture in particular has allowed the fallout of bad leaders um, get framed in a transactional way is massively problematic. The heart of our repentance is the fact that we've we've allowed this sort of calculation to take place that goes, you know, I mean, the, it's the quote in every interview I did for Mars Hill, which was, yeah, I mean, this was a disaster and everybody knew it was, but hey, look at the fruit, right? And you hear that in church after church after church. But I don't think that's inherent to the message. I think, I think inherent to the message is lay down and die. Inherent to the message is Philippians 2. And this, you know, the story of the Gospels and, and Jesus going to the weak and the oppressed and not favoring the rich and not favoring the religious. I think so much of where we are is, is this syncretism around cultural power and influence. And I would even go so far as to say this, I think the phenomenon of celebrity, and this is where I would challenge you, in a secular age, celebrity itself is the closest thing we have to sort of spiritual transcendence. It's the one place we still believe in it because it's the one place where people laugh, last, right? You know, a president lasts. A, um, and we literally, like, icon is a sacred term. Like, icon is a reference to, sure to sacred art. Clip. I'm going to keep, but um, I may have mislabeled it. But So Cosper says, right, what comes out in every interview, what he's trying to fight against, is this idea of, hey, you know, look at all the fruit, this kind of pragmatic, um, this pragmatism. Is, is the rise and fall of Mars Hill going to help that? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know if it will. I, I, think- I, I honestly don't. It's, it's, it, it's been a, it's been an interesting listen to, to go through all these, these episodes. And, but, um, you know, I, I, I believe his overall goal is to try to combat, you know, is that he sees people, um, 
who, you know, a generation speaking out against the church a lot, and he doesn't desire that to happen. And he's trying to make a clear distinction between um, that the, the, you might have a tainted experience with Christianity, but Christianity itself isn't tainted. Like Christianity truly right. lived out is not. And I disagree with some of the ways he's expressed that in this podcast. Yeah. Um, and, yes. and what he's trying to distinguish from. Uh, but obviously, I think his, I, I would, his intention here and in, in why he's included this interview seems to be that he's really trying to make a hard push to evangelize those who are listening, including a bunch of evangelicals. Right. The, he is, in this case, he's, the abuse of it does not negate the, tr- the, the truth. Um, I agree that there is, there is a lot more of a revision going on to Christianity than just this pragmatics and celebrity driven culture um, for sure. And I think that's, I think that's honestly one of the other big functions of this interview on kind of a meta level is I think the inclusion of Joshua Harris and at, at the inclusion at this level almost gives them kind of a plausible like whenever like right we just did a you know we did a whole week of stuff on Kristen Dumez who basically ran two episodes of this show yeah and 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 so I think Christianity Today now maybe they would maybe they would just back her because they're Christianity Today um but they but they have a full like out like hey man we're we're coming to all the people who were there because again i think that like there is a place for now obviously most of the people who were actually there in these events are refusing interviews so (laughs) so so you know i don't i don't even blame them for then over sampling right some of the people who who want to do interviews right you got you got to do what you got to do when you are when you are a journalist, as I'm reminded right. every time I listen to one of these episodes, <laughs> um, but you, it gives them this total out, like that. No matter what anyone says on this podcast, they can always say, "Well, we 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 were drawing from lots of different perspectives because right. there were lots of different perspectives of people who were interacted with and have opinions about this." Mm-hmm. Um. And of course, the problem with that, and I, again, I think that'd be fine. I think that you could do a fairly flatlined journalistic piece doing that. And I do, and again, I don't even, I think this episode is very evangelistic, which even if there are some, um, there are some big, there are some potential issues. The issue is that you actually aren't doing everyone who is in the room, unless you're going to tell me, John MacArthur, and all the masters people that criticized this from the day it began have all refused interviews, which is possible. It's possible. Um, but they were all there and they right. were all part of these circles and they all were super critical of this. They were vocal. Um, they were vocal critics. Um, I don't know if uh, Jed Ostich, who was a ghostwriter for Driscoll, was questioned or interviewed. We're going to try and get an interview with him. Um that would be exciting. But there are just, it seems that the sampling of who you chose was, has been very selective. Right. And that, that is the, that is the concern. And 
what I I think as I listen to this, as this person, as this man was given an hour to discuss this. Um, and again, I don't I, I don't blame you for recording a podcast. It sounds like they might be old friends for recording a podcast. So you can talk to your old friend yeah. for an hour. I just did that. Um <laughs> Now I, I'm on. A, I, I'm doing this on a very different, different stage. So I don't know. What do you think about my my other, maybe my meta theory of potentially what's going on with this interview? Yeah. Um. Not to just be a yes man, but we're, we're just going yay today. That's, that's, really that's right. right. Doing a lot of yay. Um. Yeah. But yeah. I'd, I would. I would love to know how many. I would love to know if, if MacArthur was asked to come on this podcast at all. Did they ask him? Did he, mm. did he say no? Like where, and, and I still come back even just mentioning MacArthur and how, how they've presented this. They, to me, it seems like they're driving at a certain audience and they're trying to be very charitable to the ex-evangelical people that are going to be listening to this. And now maybe we're hitting them with the hook of the actual evangelistic message here. But right. that first episode where John MacArthur was mentioned very briefly, but then it was like, oh, he, but he voted for Trump later. And then we mentioned Rachel Held Evans, one guy that's one small criticism of her and Cosper says, that's not entirely true. It's like, right. Rachel, like she was, defended immediately despite i mean just like go and read what she wrote like this is right it's public uh, yeah it's it's out there she was you know she was definitely not holding to biblical christianity in in her in her work just wasn't there so um it we we've we've kind of catered the podcast it seems like we've been selective with who we're talking to uh, but again, I, I don't, we, te- to caveat it, we don't know who they asked right. and who refused and, the interview. And I just we, would be interested to know. And Mike Cosper, for that reason, I would love to interview you. Love to have you on the show, man, to, to ask Come you on, that Mike. question. Let's do it. Yep. I think that'd be enjoyable. I think we could have a good time um, because I do think that I also have wondered if this is one of those moments where, like, a, you're where the dog catches the fire truck and doesn't know what to do with it. Like you've done all of this, like look at these problems and we're uncovering it. We're telling the story and the response you get is all these ex evangelicals saying like, yeah, that's why we left the church and Christianity right. isn't true. And you're like, Oh wait, wait, I, it, who could have seen this coming now? Many listeners saw this coming with how these things were presented, right. but I, I've also wondered the other side is this kind of like, we need to pull back a little and we need to try and share the gospel. And for that reason, the same reason I'm glad Mark Driscoll is still attempting to share the gospel. I am glad Christianity today still is despite it's many, uh, the many problems I have voiced as we've been listening to this show. It, it is Yeah, what do you, what's, what's the hope in all the, in covering this? What was the point and what's the hope? And obviously he's, he, he, he says it here, 
but um, I don't know. I, I the hope should be the gospel, and right. the hope should be in in following uh, the commands of Jesus and, and, and believing that continual repentance of the things that need to be repented of, uh, and stumbling our ways through obedience. Uh, something we hopefully I I pray for it every day. Help me obey. Pray with my kids. Help us to obey you. Um, because, and I, I remember telling, we, I taught my kids a, a song that I sang as a little kid. It was like Ephesians 432. It's just scripture. But we were talking about kindness to one another. And I was trying to make the point, we, we are kind to one another because God tells us to be kind to one another. And he is good. So we do that not because mommy and daddy will be pleased with you if you obey not so that you feel like that we are happy it's because god says to do this and we're all going to try to do this all right i would wonder sorry to no no i would wonder it'll be interesting i guess to if if you can kind of quantify or try to figure out what what is the impact of this immensely successful podcast that Um, is an interesting question i don't know if if there's a way we can quantify it or or gauge what the impact is but it's i I wonder but what's the overall effect of the podcast as i've mentioned in every ministry context conference church planning event i've had to go to recently they all bring this up yeah everyone like so there is I don't know what lessons everyone is learning. Um, and I never say, hey, I do a podcast where we excoriate this show on a weekly, va- on a, you know, on a whatever. We were we the do. original Rise and Fall podcast. Right. We do them where we do a monthly, uh, where we do like a monthly excoriating of this. But uh, it certainly has some. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's wild, man. So, all right, let me, let me thank the people and, we're not going to do part two. Um, I may have to cut this down a little bit and release the <laughs> extras to the, the patrons. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Matt Contreras, Mainstream Matt, for joining us um, and holding down the other podcasting chair for Pastor Michael this weekend. So we hope you all are doing well. We thank you for listening to the show. Uh, yeah, you can find this all. Uh, follow us on social media and do whatever else you need to do. Matt, any parting words for the listeners today? We're just praying for you, Pastor Michael. We missed you tonight and uh, we're praying for you and your family. That's right. All right, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Stop that recording. Uh